The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome back to the Data Reaper podcast, episode 31. It is February 1st, bright and early in the morning. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by head cheesemonger, Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hats? Doing okay. Good to be back recording again. Feels like we haven't talked in a little bit. Yeah. First report after a mini set, Dark Moon Races. We've got a new meta. We've got exciting things to talk about. And uh, let's go over it because our next report is not going to be this Thursday. It's going to be the next Thursday um, on the 11th. Which means that we have some things to say regarding further developments that are occurring as you know as the meta changes because you know the report reflected uh, the period of time from the beginning of the mini sets launch to uh, a couple days before the report was published. Since then, new things have been happening, and I will try to also mention where these decks are headed now so that you can get a, a picture of what to expect over the next week as you're now uh, starting your monthly climb uh, of ladder. It's worth noting, I think the first few days gave us the wrong impression of this meta, especially because there were no theory crafting streams, so people were kind of leaning into what was going on beforehand. But over... Really, the over the weekend and the past few days, it feels like uh, there's been an explosion of new weird things that people are trying. Some of which are very successful, um, and some of which, you know, look more impressive than they are. Um, but pretty amazing that 35 cards changed this meta so dramatically, because it feels like there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. There are a lot of really bad decks. Um, that have been lurking around. I would say this is one of the uh, jankiest metas I've seen in a very long time. Like, even compared to a, a a meta in the beginning of the expansion, it just seems like there are a lot of decks that just, you know, trapped a lot of players for a significant amount of time thinking that they were any good, but they're not. And this has contributed to... Uh, a huge bloat in uh, initial win rates of uh, the top meta decks. Yeah, our job right now is to clean up all the trash and see what ends up surviving at the top. I'm looking at the report right now, and filtered by Legend Rank on the report, there were 15 decks in Tier 1. I don't envision the report to look the same way next week. No, no chance. Why don't we get started with a deck, uh, with a class that I think that we can depend on to stay there, with Rogue. Nitro Boost Poison, not overhyped. The card's bananas. It's so good. The card is very strong, but the deck it first enabled might be the one that's overhyped. And when I say that, I specifically talk about Dancer Agra Rogue. The Agra Rogue build that runs Self-Sharpening Sword and Steel Dancer this deck was uh, the front runner of this uh, mini set of the of the meta in terms of at least being the first deck that players flock to in anticipation of its power, considering um, 
Nitro Boost Poison, which is a bonkers card. It's absolutely an insanely good card. So there was definitely justification for the hype. But what's interesting to see is that Agarogue is not performing as well as it was, you know, predicted to. And more more than that, it's not even one of the best performing decks. It's not even close to being one of the best performing decks. And its win rate over the last few days is continuing to decline. So I expect it to be nowhere near tier one when this meta settles down. And I even anticipate a dramatic decline in its play rate, at least at higher levels of play, that's for sure, over the next week, considering how it performs. Now, I will say this. There is a possibility that other aggro rogue builds are going to gain traction, and maybe self-sharpening sword and steel dancer is just too linear and too predictable of a strategy. And Agarogue is better off running, you know, just aggressive cards with good reload and Nitro Boost Poison just as a damage card, like an efficient damage card. Even with a dagger, it's just six damage. You don't need to run self-shopping for that card to be good. So we have to wait and see whether these kind of builds might be better. Maybe you just want to hook Scimitar. Maybe we're running things like Ashton Slayer again. I've seen lists with Penflingers. We don't know how good these decks are. We don't know how good these builds are right now. It's very tough to say. But as an archetype, while it disappoints now, we'll have to see what happens with other variants. Because over the past, the, the first week of uh, Dark Moon Races, we've mostly seen the self-sharpening sword build. So for that build, it seems to be overhyped. I think it will see far less play over the next uh, few weeks, and it's not really a dominant deck. But Rogue does have a dominant deck, and that is Will Kick Miracle Rogue. Thankfully, uh, we've managed to split, reliably split, Secret Miracle Rogue from Will Kick Miracle Rogue, and now uh, we can, uh, you know, show their own win rate separately. And Will Kick is a tier one deck. Though, again, Will Kick Rogue is a deck that's not going to be as dominant as it was before. Um, it definitely has more challenges now. Uh, Cheese Paladin is a tough matchup. Obviously, Rogue has no way to deal with a turn four uh, Allure coin. Like, you don't have AoEs, you don't have the removal. Like, that's just far too much of a tempo play against you. It just completely demolishes you. Uh, so that's a difficult matchup. Token Druid can also be a difficult matchup. Uh, if you are running the more Trent slower build, uh, it makes it very hard. The rogue needs to constantly clean up the board or just get wrecked by a Savage Roar in that matchup. Um, you, you obviously have Enrage Warrior, which has always been a, a challenging matchup in other Warrior decks as well. And also Lifesteal Demon Hunter is a deck that's very popular, even though it's not as good as it's perceived to be. That's also a difficult matchup. So... Will Kick Rogue definitely is a good deck, very strong deck, but it's not as dominant as its matchup spread is just not as dominant as it was before. It's going to be up there, but it's not going to be the best deck. Uh, and then we have Secret um, Miracle Rogue. Uh, this is the worst performing deck, Rogue deck right now, but um, it's also the least refined one, right? Because people are pl still playing like uh, all sorts of 
builds that are clearly worse than what we featured, uh, which is a build that cuts questing adventurers and just looks to play more aggressively with Nitro Boost Poison and Eviscerates and Sparkjoy Cheat and Bamboozle. So you just you just put you utilize uh, Cheat uh, by uh, playing six secrets. So you always have strong tempo plays on turn three when you have it. Bamboozle is really good with it. Ambush is really good with it. Dirty Tricks might be the weakest one, but it's still it's a very good like source of card draw. By playing it, like helps you reload. So that kind of damage build seems to be performing best for the secret uh, archetype. And also, it's interesting to note is that the Will Kick version is not really experimenting with Nitro Boost Poison. So it's not like we came in and said this is the best build, it's still the one before the report. It's more about we don't really have a way to compare. We don't know if Nitro Boost Poison could be very good in Will Kick Rogue. And considering the card is just good, I'm just wondering why more players are not trying it. We're seeing it, but not enough to to really say whether the card belongs in the archetype. So my gut instincts is, is that it's good. It's probably good in Will Kick Rogue. Uh, but I just, we need the data to confirm it. Yeah, it's any deck with Foxy Fraud, you kind of get that corrupt for free. It Nitro Boost feels like a combo card, but it isn't. So I'm wondering if people are playing it and then it's just, you know, you can't play it off Foxy Fraud. You can't play it off of, uh, you can't draw a card with Whirl Kick. But it's, I mean, it's just so much damage for so little. It's a good board control tool. It's good pressure. I'm I'm sure that any rogue deck that plays it will find a way to make it good. I like what we've done with the secret rogue here. I originally tried just taking the old secret rogue list and putting in Spark Joy Cheat, and it was awful. It was really, really bad. But uh, since all the rogue secrets are based on value, it makes a lot of sense that we're playing cards that are more for, for tempo and pressure, and we make up that value with ambushes and dirty tricks and, and bamboozle on the 3-3 is really smart. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, as far as aggro rogue, I've seen a lot more builds leaning into stealth. It seems like Steel Dancer is the ultimate trap. I will say that Nitro Boost Poison seems to have made Cutting Class into a much better card, and that feels like the the realistic payoff to aim for here. You can put Cutting Class in a stealth rogue now and probably cast it for 2 or even 0. Oh, you're running... If you're running Hook Scimitar, then you can very reliably, alongside like Deadly Poison and Nitro Boost Poison, you, you don't need the self-sharpening sword, right? Yeah. You don't need that slow, grindy damage dealer. Uh, you have enough damage without that card. So I feel like that's probably a direction that's worth exploring. And also, I would really like to see more players uh, cut Brain Freeze in Will Kick Rogue and try to run Nitro Boost Poison. Uh, this is the unfortunate part of data analysis. You cannot really say... if You cannot really say advocate for a card that you don't see it being a proven performer, right? Like you can't, I, we can't say in the report, "Hey, we need to run Nitro Boost Poison in Will Kick Rogue." No, we need to see more players, and there are more players who start are starting to do that. Do that switch, and then see whether the card is better. My instinct tell me it is. So maybe Will Kick Rogue also has some room to grow there. Because if you're running Eviscerate, yeah. if Eviscerate is good enough, then Nitro Boost Poison has to be good enough, right? So it just makes sense. Yeah, I would think so. And of course, the lack of data is why we're not advocating for Crab Rider and Aggro Rogue. That must be it, right? 
It's a lack of data. Yep. <laughs> I've seen that build for uh, is it Jesse Alexander running that? Uh yeah. There's there was a build that won a qualifier with double boost, double cold blood, and let me tell you, when Krabby gets angry, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know about that. Like, remember we talked about it. I compared it to vicious scale height in terms of being a rush minion with two scaling keywords. It's it's a thing. Yeah, and four health is a lot of health. That's a lot. Yeah, of health. very sick. I I got I got that. It happened to me. A crab rider cold blood thing. That that hurts. Yes, it is very um, painful. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. We'll see what happens, but rogue definitely is going to be a strong, flexible car uh, class and. I expect it to be near the top, if not at the top. Yeah, it's maybe the safest prediction at this point for those of you that are betting on the Hearthstone stock market. Uh, so, next up, maybe one of the biggest winners of the patch of the mini set, Druid is arboring up. We've got a whole lot going on here. There are th- there are two different kinds of token druids in the report, and uh, it's been a while since. We've been able to run tutus and druids since Risky Skipper was printed, but now it seems like druid is competitive. Druid is more than competitive. Druid might be the best class in the game. Uh, it definitely is going to aspire to become one. Uh, it's a tough challenge, but it's up there. It's one of the best, strongest classes right now, uh, thanks to Arbor Up. Insanely good card. Uh, really surprised. It's actually a little bit surprising how druid just goes from nothing to tier one uh, because of that one card but that card matters a lot and and token druid we've seen a lot there there are four variants that see play right now in token druid two of them are kind of bad and the two that we feature are the good ones those are directions that you should go to um and and they're very closely matched i would say i suspect that as as the meta continues to develop uh treant uh token druid the slower build is going to get better and better um, because it's just better in the slow matchups, while the dribbling variant is more about answering the meta right now. It's about answering Agarog. It's not answering Cheese Paladin. It's about you know answering these faster decks. Um, and it, it does that by taking over the board early and just snowballing out of control, but it's very vulnerable to removal. Risky Skipper, things like that. Uh, if you go Treant route and you go Goru, Goru is an insane card against a warrior because of the interaction with uh, Barov. Um, so, like, if you're playing against Enrage Warrior, like, they usually only have Barov to answer your, like, a big Arbor upturn, and Barov gets wrecked by a Goru. If you play Goru, then Barov does not put your opponent's min- uh, minion's health to one. Uh, they end up being two health, so makes it more difficult to clear. Oh, this reminds me of Murloc Warleader before the nerf. Exactly, it's the same thing. It's the same deal. So, very powerful card. So, you have the Gibbling build, and the Gibbling build is very different from the best uh, Treant build. Uh, the Gibbling build uh, needs to cut slower cards. There are there are cards that are good in the uh, Treant build, like Soul of the Forest. Um, Solar Eclipse, which is nuts in the slower build. But in this lightning fast build, you don't really have time to like wait it out and combo with Solar Eclipse. You don't really... You, you, most, of, most of your games are end by turn five, five or six. They're determined by that, by that point. You don't ramp. 
So Solar Eclipse is more of a combo setup card in the mid to late game. And that card is very weak in the Gibberling raid. You want things that immediately affect the board, like bees, like Lunar Eclipse. Just things that interact with the opponent's board and help you develop. So those cards are very good for that purpose, or Trinforcements. These decks couldn't really play more differently. One of them plays a 2-2 on turn one, and the other one saves for, you know, Solar Eclipse and, and Arbor Up, or even just Runic Carvings, Aeroponics. It feels like Aggro Rogue versus World Kick Rogue. It's a really, really different ball game here. It is. The problem is that we couldn't really separate them for this report uh, because uh, there's a lot of overlap, right? There are a lot of cards like Bees is a card that's probably going to become a gibberling marker. But we've also seen uh, Bees being experimented with by the Triant build even though that card doesn't really belong there. And vice versa, you know, you see Solar Eclipse and the Gibberling variant, when it really should be the, the card that belongs in the slower deck. So as these, these two decks are going to differentiate from each other a little bit more, and there will be less and less overlap, it will become easier to recognize them separately. Uh, and and I, I suspect that I'm, I might be able to do that. But uh, for now, we've mostly outlined the strength of each uh, deck. Each of these decks uh, is tier one in their own right. Uh, like, both of these variants are very powerful. The question is, what are they powerful against? Jibberling, very good and over the meta, the last week's meta. Excellent against Aggro, completely obliterates it. Excellent against, might be the deck that counters Cheese Paladin. Because you just snowball so fast that, like, you can win before they manage to, like, get to their power swings. Yeah, I found the Gibberling deck. I've been I've been playing mostly the Gibberling deck on ladder, and it's been doing very well for me, especially against Cheese Paladin. I mean, you don't want to see Enrage Warriors or Lifesteal Demon Hunters, but if you can make six mains on turn one, they're not Paladin is not going to get to Nazdormu. They're not going to get yeah, to Allura. Yeah, if you if you play against Immolation Aura, or you're playing against Skipper, or like Priest Removal, or Miracle Rogue, Mir- uh, like Will Kick Rogue is very good against the Gibberling variant and very bad against the Treant variant. So it's a very, very it can be a very different matchup spread. So as these like if Rogue transitions from aggro to miracle rogue decks, then you know the Gibberling variant is gonna get worse uh compared to the Treant variant. But we'll have to see. But both of these decks look very good. We just wanted to refine them, put them in the best position to succeed and then see what ends up being better or worse. I suspect both of these decks will have a place in the meta and we're just going to be about the matchup spread and the meta developments at that point yeah. over what's better. And an important note about Gibberling Druid that I have found in uh, in playing it, uh, I found I won a lot more when I started saving nature studies for turn three so I could set up a Swarmer Arbor up on turn four. So it's very natural to instinctively nature studies on turn one, but usually end up floating mana on turn two. I recommend if your opening is like tree enforcements into uh, rising winds, rising winds, save the nature studies for the end of your turn three and then swarm or arbor up on four and you'll find that curve is a lot cleaner. Yep. So it's a, uh, both of these decks are interesting to play. I think even though, you know, the, the treant build has overgrowth, they both have their eye wind draws, but the sequencing is challenging. It feels like they're a bit more flick. They're less of a linear deck than things like Guardian Druid, where it's just ramp, ramp, play a card, ramp. Right? It's just yeah. 
This is not Ash's spell druid. I was worried about yeah. this being Ash's spell druid, which is just like slam your fungal fortune, slam your ramp, and then just play the biggest thing in your hand. This is not that. You have to really manage your uh, your resources. Yeah, and the reach is insane. Solar Eclipse makes it for the Treant build. Makes it like almost like the old combo druid. Oh, it's so crazy! It's, uh, Force of Nature and Savage Roar. You you almost cannot leave anything up. Uh, against them because they just have so much burst that's like board centric I and mean, if you if they have any kind of board they could just win like two three minions living you're at 20 you're dead like solar eclipse roar roar and nutty nutty arbor up is so good when you solar eclipse like that turn is not fair it's really powerful and i mean it makes sense that redundancy for the glowfly swarm as well as redundancy for the savage roar makes druid better but arbor up is both it's board presence and it's burst uh pretty incredible they printed that card that to give druid exactly what it needed for token strategies to be good i imagine we'll be seeing this card in standard for a while bottom line is if you're playing on ladder right now and you're just looking to climb and you're you ha- you're facing a lot of cheese paladins and aggro rogues Run the Gibberling variant. It's very effective in those matchups. If you're a top legend player, or like you're you're running into a lot of warriors, priest, life steal, demon hunter, I recommend um, the Triant build. It's far better in those matchups. So, depending on where you are on ladder, I think is is right now the way to go. How to choose between the two? Um, as for Clown Druid, which is the only other Druid deck that looks remotely competitive it is competitive a counter is more dependent on the meta slowing down i think to get better uh it has some promising matchups and and, and like as long as it like the meta just slows down and like aggro goes away and maybe the gibbling variant gets weaker because that matchup is very very bad like clowndroid in general doesn't do well against faster druid decks so it needs those druid decks to relax a little bit in order to perform it's okay, but it's not too great. I generally don't recommend it. Meta is a bit too aggressive right now. Um, so, yep, yes. that's Druid. It's back. It's back. Welcome home, Malfurion. All right, and now the the mainstay of, well, this entire standard year. Warrior, still around, and it looks like uh, Enrage Warrior's really picking up, and Poison... Uh, contrary to popular belief, not just a rogue card, it's good in Enrage Warrior. Or at least, it's seeing a lot of play. It's very good in Enrage Warrior. I am, I am very impressed with the build that runs Nitro Boost Poison. We even cut Grom. We cut Grom. So, okay, so there's a possibility that Grom comes back to this build. It depends on a, a couple of things, but that's not too important right now. What's important to understand is that Enrage Warrior cannot sit and wait. And sitting and waiting con- like is the ETC win condition, right? You you can just like Enrage Warrior sometimes turns into a combo deck. Like, okay, I'm just gonna draw my deck and I'm gonna combo in my opponent with ETC combo. A lot of matchups really don't favor this kind of strategy. You're you really wanna be aggressive right now as the Enrage Warrior, and Nitro Boost Poison is amazing for that. Now, the reason why you run double Kokron right now is because Kokron is excellent with Nitro Boost Poison. You don't need to wait to combo your opponent in order to win. Sometimes you just play Sword Eater on 4, you get your weapon, 
you hold that weapon, and then you go Cochron, Nitro Boost Poison, Cutting Class. That's a turn. And that's a very good turn. So you just smash your opponent in the head. And that can sometimes win games. Um, Take 11, so, draw two cards. All right. It's fine. We'll yeah, it's just, it's, it's just very, very powerful. That kind of uh, mid-game curve that Warrior can now dish out a lot of damage without like combo setups. So that kind of build is very promising. Actually, in fact, Tad, I'm kind of, th- there was something tempting to change in that build, which is add back the Grom for Barov. If you don't run Broomstick... And also, if the Treant uh, build of Token Druid becomes very popular, we are seeing that Barov is kind of dropping in its power level, especially without brooms. Barov, like brooms are Barov's best friend. If, if you don't have space to add brooms, then Barov is far more contested. It's only good with uh, Risky Skipper. So Barov is a card that might be cut from Enraged Warrior decks in the future, especially if we go into this aggressive route with Cochran and Nitro Boost Poison. Another possibility is just cutting Cash and uh, Reaper Scythe. The problem with that is that we want, kind of want more weapon consistency uh, beyond uh, Sword Eater uh, for Nitro Boost Poison. So we'll see. I've seen some players run uh, Live Wire Lance. That can also be the weapon of choice. Um, like the additional weapon for the Cash consistency with Ankar and Nitro Boost Poison. This build looks very, very good, and Rage Warrior is one of the is going to be, going to be established as one of the best decks in the game in this format. That's for sure, and it's an outrageously good deck against the Jibberling uh, Token Druid variant. Of the so, list of cards that you were gonna that you were gonna maybe say of cutting Lord Barov was nowhere near my mental list. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's just a note. But without animated yeah. broomstick, Barov is nowhere near as good and as consistent. You're very reliant on using it with Skipper, and Skipper usually you want it to use it for your battle rage turns, for your armorsmith turns, rather than just a a Skipper Barov turn, right? So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, but yeah, considering how good it is against the faster druids and the rogues as well, then Warrior is going to stay up there. Uh, Control Warrior is also very good right now. It's not going to show as much in the stats because Control Warrior is a deck that needs to fine-tune itself in order to answer the meta's threats. And we mentioned the report. Bladestorm is now core. Bladestorm was a really crappy card before... Uh, this Minisets launch. And we didn't even have it in our deck list uh, before. For a few weeks, we've dropped Bladestorm completely, and now we're advocating for two, and the reason is trees. It's very simple. It's very good in chopping trees. So if you run double Bladestorm, you're going to have a much better time against Druid. You're going to also have a decent time against Rogues because... Stealthies can be dealt with a blade storm. Like they play Spy Mistress and and Worgen Infiltrator, and you just want to clear them, then you have that option. So yeah. Blade Storm very good. It's not terrible against a tip the scales either. Like it's if they don't hit Murger Murgurgle, then you're clearing pretty much everything. It can be good there, but yeah. it's a bit more situational. But it's mostly against druids. Mostly yes. against druids. And it's nice to just be able to, you know, get rid of a sneaky delinquent to spy mistress or whatever. If they if they play Spy Mistress on one, Delinquent on two, and don't attack, and you get the Blade Storm, that's pretty juicy. Yep. Though they should attack, but they of course they should. 
I've seen people hold on to the spy mistress for far too long. Like sometimes you just gotta she get wants to smirk anyway. She wants to smirk. There and there are so many more warrior decks. There are so many yeah. more. Bomb Warrior is the same deal. It's the same kind of deck. We know what its strengths are. It needs the meta to slow down more, and then it could be very, very strong. It's already pretty good. It'll always be good, but it just... I think the players are just bored with it. No interest in playing it. That's a good thing for us. Uh, Big Warrior, cute deck. Um, Barricade is a pretty good card in that deck. It's not going to be a huge deck in the meta, but it's just something that could be playable if you're a fan of that kind of play style. Big Warrior is definitely viable. But that's it. I think Enrage Warrior is going to be really, really good, and Control Warrior is going to be very good. Those are the decks that I'm looking forward to the most uh, in this class. And have you seen much Pirate Warrior at all? I've seen rumblings of it, but haven't run into it on ladder yet. I've seen too little of it. I will say it seems to be kind of promising. Um, over the last few days after the report, like after the database for Sunday's report closed. Start to see a bit more of it. It looks pretty decent. It might be like a tier two wish deck, maybe. So I think Ike um, produced a list with Nitro Boost Poison. Obviously, is going to be a good card in that deck. It's interesting. Maybe worth a shot. Doesn't look too bad. Yeah, it's uh, that Nitro Boost Poison card that makes a lot of decks viable. Yep, very good card. All right, well. Done with Warrior, but speaking of decks with a lot of options, uh, Illidan has a bunch of stuff going on. It's just this kind of mishmash of damage cards and also a combo deck. Let's start with the combo deck. Let's start with Lifesteal Demon Hunter. This feels disproportionately popular, even though Illidari Studies is clearly a, a good card for that deck. Yeah, uh, Lifesteal Demon Hunter. Lots of hype about that deck, but its win rate is uh, sub-50% still, even at higher levels of play. Now, you know, some people say, oh, is it is it is it a bad deck then? Is it not as good as people think? And I say, of course not. Lifesteal Demon Hunter is actually a tier 1 deck, Hat. And do you know why? Because it's a very difficult deck to play. In fact, based on our analysis, the best players, the gods of Hearthstone, have a 100% win rate with it. It's actually impossible to lose with Lifesteal Demon Hunter if you don't misplay. Every single Lifesteal Demon Hunter loss is a cause of a misplay. So if you play this deck and you lose a game, it's your fault. The g deck is flawless, Hat. Did you play one it game with it? It is unstoppable. You played one game. It is unstoppable. In the hands of the gods of Hearthstone, it is unstoppable. Let me know when you're done. Let me know when you get this out of your system. Okay, so truthfully though, yeah, it's overrated, but um, it's 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 okay, but it's it's overrated. <laughs> it's it's matchups right, just not there. It's not there to to call it like a dominant deck. It's good against rogue, but it doesn't really beat other things other than rogue, and it's uh it's a difficult deck to play. But so are other decks. Yeah, I think that there are too many decks that are excused for being per, for performing the way they are because of like the perceived high skill cap. You can like it's a yeah, but so is Enrage Warrior. You know, Enrage Warrior is also a very skill testing deck, and it doesn't need that excuse. And and then there are other decks that are truly bad that just keep hanging around because people think that they play that deck and they keep losing games. 
And it just gives them this heightened sense of agency where they, you know, they have to make every decision perfectly in order to win because the deck is underpowered. Yes. And when you misplay with, with Lifesteal Demon Hunter, you're going to lose. While if you misplay with Enrage Warrior, there's this chance you can still win. You know why? Because the deck is good. I think there are too many situations where players are just prone to that kind of psychological bias where they're playing a powerful deck, even if it's skill testing and you can really enhance or maximize your win rate more by playing it as well as you can, you can still win games even by not playing as perfectly. And that gives you that psychological sense of this isn't as skill testing, right? Because you still won the game. But Lifesteal Demander, you spit blood, you sweat every turn. When you win, you feel like a god. Oh, I overcame the all the decision-making I needed to do. And if you lose, it's like you 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 throw you write it off. It's like, okay, maybe I didn't play this perfectly. So decks that are underpowered tend to have that inflated sense, inflated perception of skill cap. Lifesteal Demon Under is a high skill cap deck, but that doesn't mean that we can excuse its current win rate. That doesn't mean it's the best deck. That doesn't mean we need to completely disregard every statistical metric for it. And we can see that even at higher levels of play, it's not impressive at tournaments. In the tournament scene right now, I'm seeing win rates. It's not impressive. So let's relax a little bit. Let's we yeah. let's relax a little bit, Hat. That's Zacho's real bottom line. It's when we call a deck, when we call a deck lower tier, or when we say the win rate is lower, it doesn't mean that people cannot win with it. It means the average performance is skewing down. And decks with a lot of decisions, that doesn't inherently make the deck good. It just makes the deck complicated. And complicated decks can be good, and complicated decks can be worse. Don't worry, we'll talk about that when we get to the mage section. But if you're playing Lifesteal Demon Hunter over other choices in the meta right now, you're at a disadvantage because the deck is not strong enough to offset the decision-making needs. It just, it just, it will win fewer games. It will win fewer games. Sometimes it's a maze that leads to the same outcome, a loss. That's it. You get a heightened sense of agency, but it doesn't mean that the deck is actually, was going to win. So, let's, uh, it's nowhere near the best deck. Not in anywhere near at any level of playing, um, and and that's pretty much it. Um, but it's fun. It's cool. It's interesting. If you want to play a combo deck, you can play a combo deck. It's it's there. It exists. It is a combo deck that's good against wider boards. Though interestingly enough, at Legend rank, from what we can see, uh, the token druid matchup is actually not all that great. If you're if you're playing the treant version in particular, if immolation aura doesn't kill three threes, you kind of got a problem there. It doesn't beat the Gibberling variant either. It's just far better against the Gibberling variant, but that doesn't make that matchup favorite. Like, Lifesteal Demon Hunter gets completely destroyed by the Treant build, and the Gibberling is like, maybe you have a... It's close to 50-50. That's, the, that's pretty much the, the, the matchup. I, I, I'm, like, I may have talked like as if it was favored against the Gibberling. I'm just saying it's like, it's still not favored. It's just much better against that. Because of Immolation Ore. So that that's pretty much it. Um, you have other Demon Hunter decks. Fell Demon Hunter is not actually good. 
it's going to disappear. It's pretty much Soul Demon Hunter without the soul. That's a business description for it, and it's such a weird deck. It's really strange. It's a deck that was tweeted out. Somebody did well with it on first day of uh, of the mini sets uh, release. Uh, it got traction through there, but it's not actually very good, and it's going to disappear. Soul Demon Hunter is pretty good, um, but people are not building it well. Uh, I will say that. I don't understand this obsession with players cutting Militia. I keep seeing it. This is a trend. It kept happening throughout this deck's history where people say, oh, let's cut Militia. Uh, these people are nuts, and they're wrong hat. Militia is good, and soul fragments are good. We want soul fragments, and we want Militia. Militia is a game-winning card when you like maximize its usage, especially now when you have Lucky Soul Hoarder, which seems to be a very good card as well in the deck. Very easy to corrupt multiple things. Marrow Slice will just a natural on-curve fit. You play Hoarder on 5, you're not upset at all. You can play it post-skull. Just a very strong card. Um, and yeah, you can cut some things like um, Chaos Strike. Yeah, you can cut it. It's a card. It's a mediocre card. It was okay before, but now the power level is risen. There are better cards now. We're cutting Chaos Strike. So just play the good cards, the best card you can. That's what we tried doing uh, with, the, with the build that we have featured. And that one runs Militia because cutting her is wrong. Should run Militia. Uh, Militia is, I mean, it's a board in a box, and there are a bunch of games where you can only win by making a board, and it's a lot of power. Yeah. You know what 3-3s three, three, th- three, three with Thrush do? You know what they do, Hat? They clear two twos. They clear a lot of trees. Yeah. They clear a lot of trees. Or Glowflies. Glowflies aren't trees, but they clear them too. True. They kill a lot of tutus, so that's pretty good. And they're also pretty good against Murlocs sometimes. They clear a lot of Murlocs. Yeah. Uh, and then it looks like Agra Demon Hunter still around. Ilganoth has definitely found his way into aggressive builds, and it makes a lot of sense that we can just turn into a uh, a scuffed Soul DH or Combo DH in a way, and just hit people with big Aldraki Warblades, and uh, you know set up the Skull Turn so that they take fifteen damage at once. Yeah, I mean Agra DH is still very good on the climb ladder. Uh, but it's not good at top legend, not because of skill cap or any of that nonsense. I assume just because of warrior. Because more warrior, life steal DH, um, worse matchups there. Decks that disproportionately rise at uh, top legend are just end up being will kick rogue as well is going to be very popular at top legend. So those are bad matchups, um, and that's why aggro demon hunter kind of tanks. A top legend, not as good as it is on the climb, but still a very good deck, nevertheless. And Demon Hunter has options, so it's a it's it's a it's an interesting class. And as I said, Lifesteal Demon Hunter is a pretty interesting deck to play. It's a lot of fun. It's cool. It just doesn't beat everything. Um, that's that's the message. I'm I am glad to hear that there is balance and that Illidan is somewhere in the middle. It's a good place for very him to be. Very fair. Yeah, Demon Hunter has been a very fair class lately. I'm I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, well, it turns out if you want to be unfair right now, you have to put your faith in the light. So, are you ready? Ready, hat. I'm I'm ready for the cheese. You have your wine ready. Somebody asked me a few days ago, "What is the best deck? What are the best decks in the game?" The best decks in the game are Cheese Paladin, Cheddar Pattern, Mozzarella Paladin, and Gouda Paladin. 
Mm. Those are the best decks because Cheese Paladin is not just obnoxious and broken and toxic and an abomination, but it's also the best deck in the game right now. I will give you some news that over the last few days, as the bad decks are disappearing and the meta is trying to target it a bit more effectively, we're seeing some response. Now, this response is unlikely to unseat Ramp Paladin from being a Tier 1 deck. Maybe it's still going to be a Tier 1 deck. But maybe it's not going to be as completely repulsive as the stats for this report uh, suggested. Uh, it's going to be... What I do think is that even if it get, its power gets curbed a little bit and it doesn't become as offensive... It's mostly going to happen at top legend because players there are going to are far more effective at targeting such things. It also happened with Evolve Shaman. When there's a deck that's like there's a broken ass deck that's super super powerful, it's usually weakest at top legend because players there are completely focused on trying to counter it, on beating it, on refining decks to to perform best against it. Good example is the Jibberling variant. That's pretty much why it's gaining traction because it's a way to counter Cheese Paladin. Uh, so the deck is not going to be as ridiculous at Top Legend, but again, Top Legend is not most of ladder. And in most rank brackets that I'm seeing, Cheese Paladin is ridiculous. And that includes most of Legend ranks. That includes Diamond, Platinum, and below. The deck is absolutely ridiculous uh, over there. And that means that it's probably going to get very, very popular. Now, it hasn't yet reached the numbers of like Evolve Shaman, but it's going to get there. Over the past 24 hours, Hat, at Diamond, Diamond 1 and 2, it's 15% of the field. Rising to 16, 17% of the field. Already at bottom diamond, it's close to 10%. So it's rising very, very rapidly. And I expect to see a lot of it everywhere pretty soon. Do you want to hear my theory for why it hasn't gotten more popular more quickly? People don't want to craft Nostormu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could be it. It's The deck it is well very expensive. It. It's full of legendaries and epics and... Nazdormu is going to be this expansion's Zentimo, because when they nerf Allura, you're going to be stuck with that uh, legendary that's rotating out that you don't want again. Yeah, still, but the question is, the deck is still very powerful at high levels of play. It's still one of the best decks there. It's just not as ridiculous, right? Yeah. So it's going to be seen in tournaments. And you're going to have streamed matchups where they play Allura coin and the game ends. And that's not good advertising. So I'm 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 very very wary of this deck sort of living through the next two months, and it will probably have to be addressed in some way because it's super toxic. <laughs> it's really really stupid. It's the dumbest deck of like I've ever seen this year. If you want that's to talk sure. about, we just transitioned from the Demon Hunter section where we we're talking about Lifesteal Demon Hunter. That deck is a lot of work for little results. This deck is the complete opposite. You smash your head on the uh, head in the keyboard, and then murlocs come out, and then your opponent loses. 
which is which is another thing that I want to say. These kind of decks that have this high roll tend to be underestimated, right? Like you're gonna hear some pros say, "Oh, this cheese paladin is not actually good," but cheese paladin is far better at top legend than lifesteal demon hunter. That's the irony of it. But because of the perception of agency of player agency, there will there will be players living in a world where they think lifesteal demon hunter is a better deck. There is no such world yet. It's yeah. just that Cheese Paladin, its floor is higher than Lifesteal Demon Hunter peak ceiling. Because the deck wins so many games easily, right? The comparison I made in the Discord today is that it's Spiteful Paladin, except the Spiteful's cost four. Yep, it's pretty much it. And four mana is not the right cost for that. It's just because you can roll your face on the keyboard doesn't make that get deck irrelevant at higher levels of play. You still should expect to see a lot of it there because it's a powerful deck still. So that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Um, regarding build, it's actually very hard to build it. Yeah, it's there's a lot going on. As you noted in the report, I think Sphere of Sapiens belongs in there. And Sphere of Sapiens is the best canary in the coal mine I can think of because it is only in decks that have some kind of unhealthy it's thing going on in stupid decks stupid decks yeah. you know one of my proudest moments as a writer of uh, for vicious syndicate was when we produced the card preview for um for uh that expansion where sphere of sapiens was introduced and you know when in neutrals we always write what kind of classes and decks is is, is that neutral if it's good enough going to go in and i wrote for sphere of Sapiens. Classes, weird decks. I predicted that, that Sphere of Sapiens was only going to go in to literally weird decks, and that prophecy is true. Because Turtle Mage, like Mozaki Mage, all the dumb decks that if they're too powerful, they probably need to be nerfed, Sphere of Sapiens go into them. Goes into them. So, that's pretty much the sign that the deck is stupid. Because the mulligan is so warped. You are so warped around drawing your two barns that Sphere of Sapiens is actually worth it. That's how stupid the deck is. So, pretty much it. That's Cheese Paladin. Uh, regarding the build, I wanted to say about the build, actually very difficult because um, what we ran into is I want to run Armor Vendor, and I want to run Strongman, but I also want to run Bear of Broom. And you cannot do everything. So Strongman is very important. It's actually the card that's like the, safe, that's the safest one to go in. And then it's a, just a decision between Armor Vendors and Bear of Broom. And we opted for the Bear of Broom because of where the meta is headed, not necessarily where it's been. Because if you've played Cheese Paladin last week, you needed Armor Vendor for Aggro Rogue. But if Aggro Rogue is going to decline as a result of its like not super impressive win rate, and it's over it's it's just overplayed right now, then Armor Vendor is gonna drop in value. So the build that we have in the report is more for the meta of the next week or two. Um and yeah, it's not even that refined. As long as people understand that Strongman is a core card, it has to be ran, and Circus Amalgam is garbage, and need, people need to stop running that card 
Like, I've had a couple conversations. People are fixated on tipping out a taunt. Like, first of all, if you tip the scales, you don't need to worry about the board, I promise. Second of all, breaking, it's just Dragon Tamer. That's the only thing that matters is make sure your Dragon Tamer always draws Nazdormu. If you don't run Amalgam, then Nazdormu is the only dragon in the deck, and your two drop is two more copies of Nazdormu, which is the second best card in the deck. You don't need taunts off of tip of scales. You have a billion rush minions. You clear the whole board. Your opponent cannot attack with anything but his own face. Yeah. That's probably not going to be relevant if you tip the scales at any like at an early stage of the game. And if you run strongman, then you put a taunt down. Exactly. If you run strongman and you play Nosdormo, which you get consistently off the dragon tamer, then the moment you play a ten drop, you get a, the protection of a strongman. So there's absolutely no question that Amalgam shouldn't be in the deck, and Strongman should be in the deck. The only question is uh, the Barrel of Broom versus the um, Vendors. So that's uh, that's pretty much it. Other Paladin decks are also good. Liban Paladin is very good. Um, it's probably going to be overshadowed by the Cheese, but the deck is quite powerful right now. It's very comfortably a Tier 1 deck. It's probably going to stay there. As a tier one deck, it's one of those decks that, you know, there's some decks that we expect it to drop in its win rate as the meta settles down, but Liban Paladin is one of these decks that actually looks like it's going to stick around at the tier one area. And it, it runs Crab Riders. It's another deck that's using uh, Crab Riders. The Crab Rider build is really cool. Uh, like, you put, put Liban of Wisdom on top of it, you put Blessing of Wisdom on top of it, and it, it does a lot of work. You can draw two cards. It has a really nice combo with Blessing of Wisdom. Um, and that just helps the deck just cycle power through its uh, its deck. And that means it gets its Pen Flinger combos uh, more consistently. That's very good. The other thing is in the build that I personally played also. Because what I looked at the data is like Librum of Judgment is not a good card in Librum Paladin unless it gets consistently corrupted. Like, if you corrupt it consistently, it's extremely powerful, but Liban Paladin doesn't have really have the, the the top end to do that. It, like, it's not enough to just run Liban of Hope and Hope, right? You need to run other things. So, Siamat is a suggestion that we have in the report that can consistently um, corrupt Liban of Judgment. Obviously, uh, Silas is a card that the deck has already played and has been proven to be a good card. Good removal option. That is also a consistent corruptor of Liban of Judgment. So the other build is more about, you know, developing, right? You have uh, braggarts, so you develop stuff through your wisdom and your hopes, and you also have the judgments to stabilize your life total. Very, very powerful. There are a lot of strategies right now that rely on burning you out and having a judgment is consistently corrupted judgment is pretty nuts. It's also just an incredible source of damage that helps you close games. It's a really good card. It's a really, really good card. I've actually been playing a little bit of Pure Paladin lately, and uh, I, in one game I got three of them. 45 damage, yeah, 45 yeah. life. I fatigued a Res Priest with Pure Paladin. Like, yeah, come on. Pure Paladin doesn't have that problem, because you, you already run like a top end that can consistently corrupt the Judgment, so you just run it no-brainer. Um, but one card that we should reiterate that sucks in Pure Paladin is Liadrin. Stop writing Liadrin in Pure Paladin. It's not actually a good card in that deck. It's especially now, it makes no sense to run it. Just drop it. 
And finally, just like Warrior has Big Warrior, which is a cute deck, then Paladin also has its cute big deck, which is Dual Paladin. Far less offensive than Cheese Paladin. Probably going to be a reason why it's not going to gain traction, because why would I play Dual Paladin when Cheese Paladin is so much stronger? But it is playable. It's viable, at least for now. We'll see what happens when the meta settles down, but it might still stick around. Um, again, the bigger problem is, even if it stays around the t- Tier 2 mark, I'm not sure there will be enough players to actually choose and decide to play that deck, right? That's the main problem. The most important thing about Dual Paladin, uh, the new card Runaway Blackwing is very strong in it, but as a community we need to agree, we are going to refer to this card as Dragnaros. Thank you for your attention to this matter. Pretty good name. Okay. Yes. All right. Now, Priest. Anduin. You already got the you already got the high skill cap thing out of your system. You don't need to run through it again. You don't need to run through it again. <laughs> Just you got yeah, it out of your so, system. No, I will say, I will say, I will genuinely say this. Highlander Priest could become a tier one deck at Top Legend. It's it's a good deck. There's a possibility it gets there. It's generally strong against the top legend meta uh, because of the higher prevalence of specific matchups that um, Priest thrives in, um, most notably Warrior. But but other Priest decks have not really proven to be very good. You know, I'm seeing some hype um, about Monsanto's Cthun Lucia Priest. Yes, where Elusia is the only minion so that Insight can find it to counter OTK Demon Hunter in the biggest example of how high legend decks are bait that I can think of because he's countering a very specific pocket meta that only exists when you play against the same people over and over. Yep. And yeah, that is an effective strategy to counter Lifesteal Demon Hunter. However, the deck itself through against a diverse meta is absolute garbage. That's what it's looking right now. Like, it's not even beating Warrior. Wow. Doesn't in, even beat Warrior. We have a low sample size, but in the last few days at Legend Rank, it has a lower win rate than Mozaki Mage. So play it at your own risk. Yeah. it's It looks really, really, really bad. So even though we didn't have enough data to comment on that deck, um, you know, for the report over the last couple of days, I can tell you that that deck is just, it's Mozaki, Fireworks, Mage, tier, Maybe even worse. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much it. You know, people are trying. People are trying rally in uh, like control priest, uh, Nazmani Blood Reaver, and all that thing that we talked about in the podcast and the build up to this mini set. You know, it looks cool and it feels nice, but it's not good. So also trash. I want to talk about Res Priest. People are trying again to run Res Priest, and it has some early initial success, both in qualifiers and on ladder. Do we have any data on it yet? I mean, we do, and it's tier four. It's comfortably tier four. Uh, it's, mm. it's not very good. So I don't know. Maybe people are going to try new builds and make sense. Maybe it makes sense in the tournament meta uh, to run it like against like Warrior and such. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have much to say about uh, Resurrect Priest except for the fact that uh, like based on its performance on ladder, it doesn't seem to be particularly good. So. Yeah, if you want to be, if you want to competitively, if you want to play a legit deck that's priest deck, then it's Highlander Priest. Looks very good. Like, 
I think that it would have 100 I would have 100% said in this report that Highlander Priest was going to be a tier 1 deck, a top legend if it weren't for Cheese Paladin because that matchup is tough. But, you know, if Cheese Paladin is stopped a little bit, then yeah, Highlander Priest can definitely get there. It's one of these decks that are going to rise in the in their win rate over the next week, especially since it's a deck that, you know, it needs to its card choices are very important. Um, not everyone are going to like run the best card choices, the best answers for the meta's questions immediately. So it's a deck that's generally tends to climb in its win rate as a meta settles down. And it has the highest skill cap. It has the highest skill cap. Are, the highest are, skill you got cap. out of your Stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. It's okay. I'm going to change my name to Ridiculous Cap. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's go for Warlock. There's Zoo. And there's fun Rustwick decks that are probably mediocre. Mediocre is generous, huh? They're garbage. Just say they're garbage. Um, yeah, so here's the thing about Warlock. Zoo is one of the best decks in the game. It's very good. It's better positioned um, compared to before the patch for the simple reason is that it's very good against Druid. Like, Zoo has, uh, you know, historically been very good against the Druid class. And Azu Warlock does a lot of work in those matchups. Um, Dribbling does better to contest that matchup, but it still doesn't beat Zoo. And then Zoo obliterates any any droid deck with overgrowth, basically. So Zoo is very, very good. One of the best decks. Uh, very good matchup uh, spread. One of the things that people really underestimate is how good it is against warrior or how it's not as terrible against warrior as people think it is um it has insane longevity so it can go into the late game and it really doesn't mind getting skippered a couple of times it can even win games even after getting skippered its matchup against enrage warrior is like slightly unfavorable you would think like because has this reputation as you know enrage where it has this reputation of just beating destroying every aggressive deck then you're saying okay zoo is an aggressive deck it gets stomped by enrage warrior but it's really not the case it it really isn't like that so zoo warlock's matchup spread is very very good very un- one of its worst matchups it's is aggro rogue like one of its weaker matchups is aggro rogue and that deck is going to lose ground so maybe even things get better, but not if it gets replaced by Will Kick Rogue. That's the main issue, right? Basically, Zoo, what it wants to see is less rogues. And also doesn't want Cheese Paladin to do too well. That, those are the problematic matchups. As for slower Warlock decks, it's not really working out. It could be the fault of deck building. Like, I think Control Warlock, the build that we have in the report, actually has potential. But when I say potential, it means that it's statistical win rate might be closer to the tier three mark rather than being an utter dumpster trash of a deck, right? So if I'm saying that if we tweak this build and make it as perfect as possible, then it might be tier three, that's not a good sign, right? It, it, it just means that it probably doesn't belong. Um, so slow Warlock decks really not looking very good. Those are some of the biggest donators of uh, wins to all the other decks. Those are some of the causes of the win rate bloat. Who's bloating the win rates of every other deck? Control Warlock, Galakon Warlock, Quest Warlock. Those are the decks. But Rustwix is so fun. 
It's fun. It's also not too bad. It's not a bad card. It's actually okay. Um, and we even have it in the future builds. It's actually okay. Uh, but probably going to look a lot better after rotation. Yes. And I, as an aside, if the direction they're going with generation is the best thing you can do is Envoy, Rustwix, or Keyword and Ivory, I love for that, I'd love for that to be the high watermark of how many cards we can make where it's kind of narrow and it's kind of slow and there's a real stat penalty, but there's still a way to generate stuff. I think that's a good direction for the game to go in as opposed to this infinite at-cost generation of you put two World Kick uh, Masters in your deck and all of a sudden your Rogue deck never runs out of cards. I think that's a really cool direction to go in. Yep. Speaking of card generation, uh, Mage. Talk about Mage. So Cyclone Mage. Yes. Is it? Bad. High skill cap. High skill right, cap. Stop it. High skill stop cap. it. You stop it now. We did it. We did the we did the bit. We had a good time. Cycle Mage was a great deck, one of my favorites, but not this one. This one sucks and it loses a lot and I don't like it, Hat. It just taints the memory of the, the, the deck that I loved, you know? So just it's not good. And then we have the higher skill cap deck, the super big brain five head deck, which is Fireworks Mage, another deck that's one of the worst decks in the history of Hearthstone. And again, why is it getting played more than it should? Because, I don't know, maybe it has a slightly favorable matchup against Cheese Paladin? No, that's not the reason. It's because people think they're... When they play this deck, they think they're Einsteins. And that's the result. The deck sucks. So just forget about it. But it's mage garbage in general. Not really. Because there's actually a deck that's not a high skill cap deck that's doing well right now, which is Secret Mage. And Secret Mage is like really weird because this deck is just completely ignored and disrespected and disregarded by pretty much everyone. Nobody's even count nobody thinks this deck even exists. Nobody even thinks this deck is relevant. Yet it wins a lot of games. And it even doesn't decline at high levels of play these days, had because Druid is so popular and it's so good against Druid. So even though Secret Mage, if you look at its matchup spread. Definitely some of that high win rate has to do with the fact that people are playing Control Warlock. Definitely has something to do with that. But even if Control Warlock declines, disappears, Galakorn Warlock, all these bad Warlock decks, they disappear. Secret Mage's matchup spread is definitely going to get worse. But if Druid is good, then it has a chance. And it's also pretty decent against Warrior too. It's also very good against Priest. So there are all sorts of... It's also very good against Lifesteal Demon Hunter. Yeah, that Lifesteal Demon Hunter, Secret Mage with its low skill cap and three-head uh, gameplay, beats that deck. So Secret Mage is definitely a deck that has a matchup spread that is very respectable. Where does it suck? Obviously, you know, things like Zoo and, you know, decks that generally outpace it give it problems. But it's there. It's a deck. It's... It's pretty good. Um, try it out. You won't lose. You won't lose your ladder uh, stars um, as a result. Pretty much. Anyway, other deck like Highland Mage doesn't look very good right now, but it's actually pretty good against Cheese Paladin. Especially if you run the Freeze Package. If you run Nova and you run Blizzard, you can stall pretty well against that deck, even when they allure you. You have Zephyrus, that can give you an answer. The new one-drop Glacier Racer has really impressed me. That card's super strong. Yeah, card is good, 
very good in that combo. I'm looking forward to post Highland the Mage after Zephyrus rotates out. Maybe we get a freeze control mage that kind of utilizes it with uh, Nova and does it very consistently because you can run a lot of freezes with it. So we'll see. Card is good. That package is good. The Freeze Highlander build that drops dragons looks pretty promising. I think that Highlander Mage has a good chance to go into Tier 2 territory, perhaps. Um, so it's matchup spread. It actually loses to the bad Warlock decks, right? So when they disappear, things are going to get look better uh, for this deck. Um, yeah, so Mage is actually okay. I think that Secret and Highlander Mage actually have a chance. If people give them a chance and they see enough play to to stay in the power rankings, right? If we get enough data, they have a good chance of having like positive win rates or reasonable win rates or competitive win rates. Just forget about the five head decks, okay? I have a I have a disclaimer that I've shared in my other podcast. If you are listening to this show and you want to play Mozaki Mage, if you are dead draw, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're not dead draw, play something else. But if you are dead draw, you should probably still play something else because if you win with that deck, you probably win more with another deck. I'm just gonna be happy that he's listening to the show. That's it. It's not it's not like okay, it's not like here's the thing. Here's the thing. Somebody goes, hits top legend with a deck that's like has a global win rate, a top legend of sub fifty percent. It's not like if he took another deck, if he played a deck that had a higher win rate. Like if if somebody that hit top ten legend if with lifesteal demon hunter it's not like oh i got top 10 legend because i played lifesteal demon hunter yo you got top 10 legend because you are a player who's worthy of getting into top legend and you would have probably gotten there even if you played in rage warrior or will kick rogue or token drawer or whatever right it's not like the deck carried him no so that that's pe something that people need to recognize and understand that oftentimes it's not the deck that gets to that there. It's the player, first and foremost, rather than the deck. Dead draw. thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you. We're down to the tail. Thrall and Rexar, together at last, at the bottom of the rank. Yeah, so those classes, so here's the thing. Shaman and Hunter are, again, just disregarded. People just forget they exist, but they're actually fine. They're, fine. They're more than fine. Totem Shaman is much like Secret Mage, very similar spot, where it strangely has this absurdly high win rate that we had to double check because we weren't sure what was going on there. And then we saw that it's actually really good. And even a top legend, the very few players that play it actually do well with it because it's very good against Druid, it's very good against Priest, it's very good against Lifesteal Demon Hunter. It's again, it punishes passivity. And passivity is even common in high levels of play, so the deck actually does well. Um, it does have a polarizing matchup spread, and you don't. Uh, I'm not going to expect it to stay with that high of a win rate. Things are going to drop off naturally across the board, but the deck is actually quite good right now. Uh, in addition, you have Agro Shaman, which is more than fine. It's a solid deck. It was very good before the minisets release. People ignored it. It's still good after the minisets release. People are still going to ignore it probably. Even Evolve Shaman is actually like looks playable. Though it's strictly works. It seems strictly worth in the first two shaman decks so i don't expect it to survive um but yeah shaman is okay the fact that it's not played is not because it's dead it's not because team five ruined shaman and we need to blame team five for ruining shaman because nobody's playing it no nobody's playing it because they're not thinking about it they're not trying and they're not posting results with it but the deck is actually quite 
quietly. These decks are quietly performing very well enough to be competitive. That's for sure. Same thing with Hunter. Hunter, Hunter, Face Hunter. They're fine. They're still fine. Like Hunter, Hunter still wins games. It, like Hunter, Hunter has a higher win rate at Top Legend than Lifesteal Demon Hunter. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. That's that's the that's the, how perception is so can be so warping sometimes. Like that's what we need to remember that Hunter Hunter is still performing at a pretty good level, uh, and it's just not played enough. Like people are just sick of it. But yeah, it's fine. Hunter is okay. It's, it's viable and competitive. There's something that we have to remember is that boredom is dictating a lot of deck choices at the moment, and we're probably seeing less Highlander Priest and Highlander Mage as well because of it. Because we've been playing these decks for a year and a half. It's probably why we're seeing a little bit less Bomb Warrior, though it's not the best meta for Bomb Warrior, thank goodness. Uh, but outside of Enrage Warrior, where at the High Legend meta it's disproportionately represented because high, you know pro players really love playing it, it's really good, and it's got an intricate play pattern, and, and it's going away pretty soon. So people are getting in while they can. A lot of the decks that have been around since last year are going to be at a lower play rate for no reason other than people want to do something else. You got two months before rotation, maybe less, uh, and Highlander Hunter has been about the same since Saviors. Yep, it's just boring. Huh? Like even if Highlander Hunter had a fifty-five percent winner, I wouldn't play it because it's boring. Because I'm sick of it. So, so yeah, but it's still good. And if you're still a fan of that deck, you can play it and do well with it. No problem. So, wasn't the Hunter section great? I enjoyed it tremendously. I thought <laughs> I right? really want the Thrall and Rexar to to be a to be a thing. I'm very proud of it. Anyway. Yes. Uh, so we're winding down here. Armchair design time. When would you change things, and how would you change things if you would? I mean, I ask Alec and Ixart to nerf Cheese Paladin <laughs> yes. to sneak in a nerf. I tweeted at them to sneak and in I a should, nerf. I should give Alec's response here. Um, Alec's tweet response is, we're not going to do that, and we're monitoring it, but don't believe in nerfing every flavor of the weak deck. That can create an unhealthy environment in itself. We want to promote players finding solutions to deal with the meta as they say fit. If we squash every new deck that comes around, how fun is that? With that being said... Ramp Paladin has a lot of things we don't like, a lot of one rate Paladin one card, early swing turn, etc. So if it proves to be a mainstay, then we'll act accordingly. Deck also rotates out relatively soon. That factors into these decisions as well. Okay, so it's a fair response. The only thing I disagree with is him calling it Ramp Paladin. It's a bad name, Hat. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I understand it totally. Let's wait it out. See if Cheese Paladin... Uh, win rate uh, drops significantly. It has to drop significantly. If it still stays top tier, it has to be nerfed. Nobody wants to see this deck in tournaments. Uh, um, you don't want to see this deck being 15% of the meta or even 20 if that happens uh, around ladder. You're probably going to have to nerf it, but nerfing it is difficult because it's very possible. That his answer kind of tells me I have this inkling hat that they don't want to nerf Allura because they have plans for her. There might be they might be designing deck archetypes for either Paladin or Priest, where Allura could be an important cornerstone card that's fun and cool. And if they nerf Allura now, those decks might not be viable. Those decks that they're planning for could not be viable. So I can envision that scenario where they don't want to nerf Allura. And then if you want to touch the other cards, they're getting rotated anyway. So it's a bit of an awkward situation. I definitely agree. 
But they have I don't do think something. we can have two months of we we they cannot have two months of this, and they cannot like it's 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 bad. They have to so do something. Maybe, There's no way yeah, that Master Store Iron Forge is in five and a half weeks. If this deck still exists in its current form in five and a half weeks, I would be very surprised. And I, I, I recently I looked at uh, tournament win rates uh, of uh, Master Tour qualifiers over the last weekend. And again, Cheese Paladin is not built optimally. People are running Circus Amalgam in their list, and it has one of the highest win rates in tournaments. That scares me, Hat. That tells me something, Hat. That tells me that this deck is not going to yeah, go and Not only does it have the highest win rate, but the decks that beat it. Big Warrior has the highest win rate right now. Like it, it, it's not that it has the highest win rate, but it has one of the highest win rates, which means it's one of the most dominant decks. So it's one of the most, it's excruciatingly dominant everywhere except Top Legend. At Top Legend, it's still one of the most dominant, and then it's one of the most dominant in tournaments. That's not a good sign. So probably we need to address it. Um, but I I will say that other decks seem fair. Like I really don't mind Token Druid, even if Token Druid ends up being the best deck or an iteration of Token Druid ends up being the best deck. Both the Treant uh, variant and the Gibberling variant have clear weaknesses and counters. These are not decks that you cannot stop. These are not decks that if they become too popular, you cannot answer them. These are actually some of the most answerable decks I've seen as dominant decks. So I think that actually Druid right now, we talked about in the report, we wrote about it, that Malfurion could become Hearthstone's meta hero. And the reason is because it actually could enable the viability of classes that are kind of ignored right now. Like, for example, we talked about Secret Mage. Why is it suddenly better? Because of Druid. Or Totem Shaman, suddenly getting better. Part of it is Druid and Zoo. And all these certain uh, decks that can answer Druid pretty effectively that don't see much play right now and don't see much attention, Druid can bring them into the fold. So I'm actually very excited by a meta that's kind of shaped out by these two variants of uh, Druid. Yeah, the only part of Druid that feels unfair to me is turn one gibber on the coin. Everything else seems relatively fair, but there have been some games where I've made seven minions on turn one. That feels a little sketchy. Like, that is uh, a little spooky. Aggro deck high rolls in the early game. More news at 11, Hat. That happens. Are you gonna, like, honestly, is there an aggro deck, a powerful aggro deck that you remember in the history of Hearthstone that didn't have, like, an insane high roll? Maybe the only good example is Baku decks. And that's not a good example because I'd rather play against the high roll decks than Baku decks. Okay, I'll tell you that. I know about insane high rolls. I lethaled someone on turn three. In standard. That seems a little excessive. A little bit. Turn three. Like, not they conceded. They died. They took 30 damage by turn three. Yeah, we knew that Gibberling was a powerful card. We knew that for a long time, but it was a powerful card. It didn't have a powerful deck. Now it has a powerful deck. And, yeah. and I'm not going to say it needs a nerf. what it can do. I'm going to say that if there was something that stood out to me that feels unfair sometimes, that is the, that is the thing. But I generally agree. Token Druid feels fairly counterable. I've been playing a lot of it, uh, and it definitely feels fairly counterable. Uh, I've seen a lot of Enrage Warriors. It's not a, not a fun matchup. 
it's answerable. There are decks yes. that effectively and con- consistently beat it. So even though it can occasionally have these high rolls, I don't see them as offensive to the point where I I think that the, the, the deck is just horribly wrong in terms of play pattern. I think the deck is fine. I think it, it, like talking about nerfing that one is very premature. Yes. And I'm willing to like let it slide because I think it actually could be a very healthy contributor to like balancing the meta. Both the Treant and the Gibberling can have this effect. So I actually want to give it a chance. For the last two months of Standard, it's okay for things to be a little goofy. A lot of people that are burnt out are going to take a break, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to take a break, that's okay. I don't think this meta is... It's not the best meta in the world. It's not the worst meta in the world. It's very powerful as far as standard metas go. It's going to be a little goofy, but also totally reasonable if you want to take some time off. Uh, this month, what, the ladder qualifiers for Orgrim are, there's qualifiers too. Um, but they will do something. I looked at the calendar year of 2020. They nerfed 13 times. So far, they have nerfed on a frequency about once a month-ish. I do not expect that we will have this meta until rotation, which we're thinking is going to be late March. Master Tour Iron Forge is five and a half weeks from now. I expect a nerf before that. BlizzCon Line is in two and a half weeks. So I expect the things they talk about in BlizzCon Line on Friday the 19th and Saturday the 20th will probably get implemented in a patch on Tuesday the 23rd, which would be a great time for a nerf. Great time for a balance adjustment. I, I don't know. I think like I think they will probably talk about the classic rework and all those kind of things. I'm very yeah. excited about those things. Should be a new set announcement uh, too. Again... Regarding balance changes, I only have an issue with turn four Barnes deck that has two copies of Barnes. Other than that, I think everything else seems pretty healthy to me. Yes. And interesting, and it could create a very dynamic meta, um, especially because of Druid. So looking forward to that. The changes they would make now, if they were to make any, would be for things they are worried about going into the rotation. And I don't know if there's anything that really stands out to me right now. Like, you can't really hit Warrior as much because they're losing so much. But if they were nerfing Broomstick, for example, now would be the time to nerf Broomstick. And the the neutral cards uh, might be the things they hit. If because- they wanted to nerf Broomstick, you would probably nerf Broomstick either one week before the new expansion comes out or a month after it launches. Um like a card like that i i honestly again i wouldn't touch anything hat other than cheese paladin yeah yep that's pretty much it it'd just be a question of variety and they might do a nerf for variety uh but it really depends what they announce in blizzcon line i think i think if if cheese paladin wasn't a thing this that this meta would have tons of variety or this meta already has variety yeah it's pretty impressive how dark moon races actually change things in such a major way with such a small infusion of cards um, I'm really impressed by it, and also uh, just reiterating the feedback that a lot of players have given, the lack of theory crafting streams felt like it really added a lot of interesting meta development to the first week or so. It's been a lot of fun to watch things grow. I know this isn't this isn't the Team 5 decision. This isn't no. their decision on whether to have theory crafting streams, but if somebody in Blizzard is listening, just get rid of those streams. The meta is so much more fun in the first couple of weeks. People play bad decks. I can get, I can, you know, talk smack about these decks in the first podcast of a meta. It's great. Yes. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it. Good show. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. So uh, our next show is going to be on Friday the 12th. We're recording, we'll release on Saturday the 13th. 
And the next report will be the day before that, Thursday the 11th. So check us out the end of next week. Uh, thank you so much to everyone that supported us through VS Gold and Patreon. Uh, and big thanks to Steven Sensei for intro and outro. We'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.